Hello, this is the Atlanta Storytellers Podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here are some of those stories. My name is Olive Lynch, and I'm going to read a story that I wrote for the Atlanta show, Right Club. So I'm all for fair warnings. Um, this is a fable that I wrote. It is about birds. It might have a moral at the end, and no one is going to cry this time, probably. Clarence and Jasper lived in the forest and were best friends. Or at least Jasper was Clarence's best friend. Jasper would say Clarence was more of a work buddy. They were once the top scavengers in their region, but it had not been a kind year, and tensions were high. This morning, however, Jasper had found a rare windfall. It was fresh and warm, and he couldn't believe his luck. And then Clarence showed up like clockwork. Great. Jasper rolled his beady little bird eyes. Holy shit, cried Clarence. Oh my god, this is the first body I've seen in weeks. I'm so hungry. Scooch over. Let me get that gushy stuff. I call the heart. Go for it, Jasper muttered. He didn't really care for heart. He preferred the nutrient-rich brain, which had the added component of being inside a fun-to-crack shell. She shot herself in the head? That's so awesome! We don't even have to break through the skull! This is so tight! Clarence Swan dived into the exposed gray matter. (sighs) Jasper sighed. Used to have a hundred bodies a year in here, easy. Savory teens, fat businessmen. Now everyone is going to therapy, and we're lucky if there's one skinny grad student a month. My belly's been empty for weeks, and I've been eating maggots like a fucking peasant. Clarence looked up. More like... More like pheasant, eh? Fuck off, Clarence. With a mouthful, Clarence continued babbling. I'm not gonna look a gift corpse in the mouth, but why two shots? Seems like overkill. Literally. (laughs) Jasper sighed. You know, humans. They see movies. They think one in the chest and you're done. But unless you get it exactly right, you're just going to bleed out for hours. Stupid heart. Can't even die right. Especially, what's what's the caliber here? A 22! Jesus, what was she thinking? You know, said the ghost girl standing behind that, I've been wondering that myself. What the squawk? said Jasper. What are you talking about? said Clarence. That friggin' spirit thing over there. By the, by the old lampshades. Hi, waved the girl ghost. Okay, well, uh, I can't speak human, so... But Jasper, who had been to bird college, could speak it. And he loved, loved reminding Clarence. I'll translate. Hello, spirit, human, woman! Hello, crow man. Would you find it invasive if I asked why you shot yourself in the face and boobs? You know, (laughs) invasive is a funny word to use right now uh, because you're literally standing on my small intestine. Awkward crow pause. I'm just kidding. It's fine. I mean, please stop eating me, but thank you for asking. I, I think that's why I'm still here. I need to say it to somebody or 
I guess some birdie. I, I was just so tired of loving. I've just done it too much. People always warned me about fucking around. They'd say, don't be a slut. They'd say, it'll make you sad. They'd say, it'll make your bits all loose and blown out. No one will love you. But mom was wrong, and that is bullshit. Sex doesn't do that. Vaginas don't work that way. But I, I think hearts do. You can love too many people. Because when you start to love someone, you give them a little piece of yourself, and it's tiny and safe, and they give you back a little piece. And you hope that piece will be something that means I may have my flaws, and I may not be perfect, but I'm capable of love, and I want to love you the way you want to be loved. But instead, you get like, oh, I'm an adult Disney fan. But you're pot committed at this point, so you keep giving these little pieces and making room for their little pieces, hoping that eventually you'll get the ones that you want and it'll fit. But it keeps up being just like, oh, I'm kind of sad a lot, and, and my dad didn't love me right, and eventually I blame you for my erectile dysfunction. And it's like that homies machine in the dollar store, and all you want is a Bobby Loco, but you keep putting quarters in it, and you just keep getting fat boy over and over and over and over, and who stocked this machine, and then you're out of quarters. So you pull all those pieces out again, or at least most of them, some just can't they're structural and then you're supposed to do this again until eventually it's just too much your heart prolapses I believe I'm still capable of love but it would take a huge heart to fill this hole and call me a size queen but I don't think there's a heart that big in this whole damn world as Jasper repeated this Clarence's eyes grew wide and wet and heavy that's pretty sad huh Jasper Jasper snorted. No, it's dumb. The heart doesn't process emotion. It pumps blood. That's what makes its meat particularly succulent. It's a metaphor, Jasper. I know it's a metaphor, but it also is what's wrong with this whole damn species. It is bullshit. The brain does all the work, and the heart gets all the credit, and everything they've ever felt happened because the brain made it happen. It's chemicals, everything. Every fucking rom-com or love poem or suicide note. It's always, my heart is full. She has my heart. My heart has been fucked to death by love. And no, it hasn't. Yeah, but, I mean, it is it is where you feel it. It hurts in your chest. Yeah, because your cingulate cortex triggered your vagus nerve. I know you didn't go to college, but you know biology. The heart is at best a custodian. And who gets blamed when the bad stuff happens? Oh, mental issues. Oh, something's wrong with the brain. But when someone is good and kind, you don't say, oh, what a great brain they have. It's all, what a big heart. The heart is an egocentric little fuck who gets all the credit. Huh, says Clarence. Kind of like some crows, I know. What? You know what, Jasper? Do you think it's just a coincidence you happened to find this body today? You think it's just luck I'm always right behind you when you spot a mule? I've been helping you for years, and not only have you never noticed, but you treat me like dirt. You think I don't know what you think about me. I see you roll your eyes when I talk. You're not subtle. You broadcast your disdain on your little bird face like a goddamn Amber Alert. You act like you're the only crow who has ever lost anything. We're all starving! You talk about heartbreak like it's some abstract thing. Well, for me, it's not! Tina's gone, and she's not coming back, and she was by everything. And you never... You never even asked about her. And yeah, you're right, technically, I guess. But for someone who talks a big game about brains, 
You sure don't seem to use yours very much. The ghost girl is clearly very uncomfortable to be overhearing all of this. I'm... I'm sorry, says Jasper. Yeah, well, maybe I don't care. Clarence turned away, tripping over an exposed rib. Please, Clarence, says Jasper. I know I'm an asshole. I just, I don't understand how you always seem so happy when everything around us is turning to shit. I mean, I didn't ask about Tina because you never seemed upset. Of course I'm upset. I'm upset all the time. Just because I don't wear my heart on my wing doesn't mean I don't have one. And don't fucking say it's my brain. I don't care. It's almost like creatures use metaphors to help understand their emotions. Maybe you'd know that if you felt more than one. I'm sorry, Clarence. Please. Please. I'm. You're all I have left. I know. I know you know. Yeah, well, do you know that I know you know, said Clarence with a tiny little bird grin. Yeah, man, said Jasper, I do. The bird boys look over at the ghost girl, and she lets out a good, supernaturally good-natured sigh. (sighs) Yeah, guys, it's cool. Go ahead, whatever. Dig in. Uh, My name is Nate Mask. Uh, This poem is titled uh, The Ballad of the Orange Skittle, uh, and I performed it at Mad Men and Poets, among several other places. It was the fall of 2016. In the midst of the shit show that was the 2016 election, conservative radio talk show host and former one-term congressman Joe Walsh and Donald Trump Jr. tweeted a very similar statement about the Syrian refugee crisis. It read, If I had a bowl of Skittles... And I told you three would kill you, but you eat a handful. That's our Syrian refugee problem. Now, um, we'll ignore the obvious statistical inaccuracies, the flawed logic and continuity errors that exist in this argument and get to the real problem that is this asinine statement. As Skittles' parent company Mars responded in a tweet of their own, Skittles are candy. Refugees are people. It's an inappropriate analogy. And even added, we respectfully decline from any further comment on this matter as that could be misinterpreted as marketing. And like that, a fucking candy manufacturer became the voice of reason and civility in a chaotic world. Because they're right. You can't compare candy to people. It's not even comparing apples to oranges because those are at least both still fruit. One is chewy artificial flavoring and a colorful crunchy shell. The other is a sentient being capable of thought, logic, emotion, redemption, etc, etc. But for the sake of argument, for shits and giggles, say you had a bowl of Skittles, right? And in that bowl, you had one orange Skittle with a shitty toupee. One misogynistic, racist, xenophobic, bigoted, thin-skinned, tiny-handed Skittle with the vocabulary of a fourth grader who didn't think before firing off his baseless, misguided opinions on Twitter when his feelings got hurt. And then that orange Skittle began to poison other Skittles with his hate speech, somehow rose to a position of power, placed other supremely unqualified Skittles in high-ranking positions in his Skittle administration, then started taking away Skittle health care, passing laws about the female Skittles' bodies without their input. And then started attacking freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and other constitutional Skittle rights. 
And then he decided he wanted to build an unreasonably expensive wall around the bowl and kick some colors of Skittles out, even though they weren't doing anything wrong and were just trying to improve their Skittle lives. And then he started destroying the bowl and even the table that the bowl was on, all while denying that Skittles were even having an impact on the table or the bowl, even though science proved otherwise. And then he started pissing off entire other bowls of Skittles, called some bowls shithole bowls, increasing the likelihood of serious table-wide conflict and or violence all within the orange skittles first few months in charge of the bowl now say you had this bowl of skittles right would you just say fuck it it's not worth the trouble this batch is too far gone and dump the whole thing out and miss out on all those other great skittles who hadn't done anything wrong and still had so much promise or would you say fuck the orange skittle with the shitty hair and take him out and a few of his Skittle sidekicks and dispose of them far, far, far the fuck away from the bowl they attempted to poison where they couldn't do any more damage because you know the rest of the bowl is so much better than that. My name is John Carr and this piece is called Pulled Over. I first read this piece at Right Club Atlanta and it is one of the pieces that I used to inspire uh, the play that I wrote, Black Nerd. Um, so this is also one that is special to me because right before Black Nerd was produced, I went to a bunch of shows and read this a million times. So this will probably be the last time that I read it, which uh, makes me happy we have this podcast. Pulled over. I fucking love the Renaissance Festival. It's one of my three favorite annual events. Full disclosure, I know almost nothing about the Renaissance, but RenFest isn't about historical accuracy. It's about food, beer, and physics-defying boobs. John Carr, fun fact. I'm not really what you would call masculine or someone that exhibits a lot of male traits, but there is something about walking around outside with a beer in one hand and a turkey leg in the other that gives you that feeling I imagine you get at the beginning of a sports ball event. One year I attended the festival with my friend Skylar and we had a day of rare dudeness. We perused weapon shops and fantasized about dating women that would be cool with us spending $500 on a sword. The entire times our hands filled with the instruments of gluttony. We were kings and it was a great day. It was an almost perfect day until those blue lights flashed behind us on the drive home. 1992, Inglewood, California. It was the height of controversial hip-hop songs, gang warfare, and classic N64 games. Despite being homeschooled, my family was still not immune to it. One day we noticed that our parents' bedroom window, which faced the street, had brand new bullet holes just below it and inches from where my parents slept. A drive-by had happened that night before, and stray bullets almost took the lives of my parents while they slept. It was a chaotic time, but the battle lines were clear. It was Crips versus Blood, the two major gangs in Los Angeles. They recruited at a frequency that would have made the U.S. military proud, but lost lives even faster. Every school-aged black male had been approached by one of these gangs. Well, everyone except me. I may be the only black kid in L.A. to be told by the Bloods, uh, we're just not hiring. And despite my pleas of, but I'd be a great ganger, all I could get was a, we'll keep your resume on file. Okay, 
so I never actually turned my resume into the Bloods, but the point is I was not cool enough to get recruited. I was a weird, nerdy homeschool kid, but things were about to change for old John Carr. I got my learner's permit, and today was day one of my dad teaching me to drive. Learning to drive meant I was growing up, and there was no way I was going to be a nerd forever. Skylar and I sat in the car waiting for the officer and furiously arguing about the alcohol content of mead. Was it more or less than regular beer? Would mead show up on a breathalyzer? What the hell was mead? Tap, tap, tap. Hello, officer. Son, do you know why I pulled you over? Pulled you over because you were swerving back there. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm, son, I'm going to need you to step out of the vehicle. I slowly got out of the vehicle, making no sudden moves. My hands were open and in plain sight as I exited the vehicle. I stood, my face neutral, not too happy, not too mad. One of the oddest days in 1992 was day two of my dad teaching me to drive. In my humble opinion, I had fucking killed it on day one. Acceleration, smooth stops, figure eights in a Kmart parking lot. Still couldn't parallel park, but I'm not a fucking wizard. Day two was all about how to get pulled over. It was a lot of don't make sudden movements and keep your hands visible at all times. No sticking them in your pocket. And keep your face neutral. If you look too happy, he'll think you're mocking him. If you look too mad, he'll think you're aggressive. My dad told me he was teaching me how to get pulled over, but looking back, I realized he was teaching me how to get arrested. The thing that surprised me the most was that it would, never felt like he assumed we would do something wrong. It never felt like a lesson because one of these days you're going to fuck up. No, he taught me what to do even though I was right. He taught me how to act even though I'd done nothing wrong. He taught me with the coolness of a father that knew one day his sons would be in handcuffs. At the time, I thought it was overkill. I thought that until later that year when the sky turned black at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I stood eye to eye with the police officer as he gave his next instruction. Put your hands on the trunk of the car and spread your legs. I complied. After a couple of quick pats, the questions begin. Do you live around here? How'd you get this car? Where are you going? How do you know the gentleman in the car? What's your relationship to him? The questions themselves didn't surprise me. It was a lack of one question that did. He never asked, have you been drinking? There was no breathalyzer, no walking the white line, nothing. He hadn't pulled me over because he thought I was drunk. He pulled me over because I was black. I stood on the side of the road, hands on the trunk of my car, legs spread, feeling like a criminal he thought I was. I turned to look at him, and he was gone. He had moved on to Skyler and began to question him, but those questions were very different. Are you all right? Do you need help? Has he forced you to ride with him? He asked. And of course, his favorite question, what's your relationship to each other? The thing people remember the most about 1992 was the Rodney King verdict and the violence that followed it. The riots were so intense and widespread that by 3 p.m. the Los Angeles sky was black from the soot burning buildings and cars. The thing I really remember are my parents frantically gathering our things and rushing us into the car in order to escape the city. They tried to stay calm so they wouldn't freak us out, but we had eyes. It was hard not to freak out. 
They never let me see the footage of the Rodney King beating that ran every hour on TV. In fact, it was only this year that I actually watched the video. The image of a man on all fours slowly crawling to try to get away as four police officers who took turns striking him with their batons was not the thing that surprised me. It was how they were doing it. There was no urgency. It was almost casual. They were in no rush. They beat him as if they knew no one would stop them. I stood on the side of the highway, spread leg, hands on the trunk of my car. I watched cars go by and all I could think about was how I stood as a confirmation of what so many people already thought. I imagine people thinking things like, if that black guy had been respectful to the officer, he wouldn't be in that position. Or that guy, that black guy probably had drugs in the car. Or if black people would just obey the law, they wouldn't get arrested so much. I stood there looking and feeling like a criminal. But I couldn't move. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't defend myself. I had to stand there quietly, angrily, being sentenced by passerbys for the crime of going to the Renaissance Festival. I was so caught up in my thoughts that I didn't notice the officer had returned to me. He restated a question he asked before. What's your relationship to the guy in the car? I told him we worked together at a theater called Dad's Garage. I've heard of that place, he said. I stood there on the highway, legs spread, hands flat on the trunk of my car, in full view of all, and through gritted teeth, I did the only thing I could think to do. I offered him comps to a show. He smiled. He smiled because he felt good about himself. He was about to give me a treat. The treat was I wouldn't be arrested that day. The treat was my harassment would now end. My treat was that he would leave me alone because we both knew he could have done more and no one would have stopped him. Living in this country is an honor, privilege, and a treat. I have the utmost respect for the sacrifices made to give me the freedom I enjoy, but injustice is not just what you see on the news. It's the small, everyday experiences that will never make the news, and I probably won't tell you about it at a bar because there's nothing you can do about it. Rodney King happened 24 years ago. It has been 24 years of appropriate protesting. It's been 24 years of being respectful and finding the appropriate times to bring up the subject. The result has been continued death, continued harassment, and no repercussions for the actions of the officers. Really, the only thing that has changed is the quality of the videos. It needs to be understood that just because you gave me a treat, it doesn't mean you bought my silence, and that I won't kneel whenever or wherever for what I know is right. There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. Take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.